Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to Podcast Saturday. Seems every day of the week is mentioned in this podcast of the week thing, only because we just got back from a vacation. So I'd love to share a little bit about that and just the realizations, I think, that usually come when you get some space from your normal routine and your normal day-to-day. I'm at my office, and this is truly one of the last podcasts in the big picture that I will record here in Sedona, and that's feeling really exciting. I'd say we're down to less than eight weeks, which isn't around the corner, but just having taken a long car trip for this vacation has got me feeling like it's actually really soon. And it won't be a small feat to pack all of 10 kids into the van and dogs, and we don't have it all figured out yet. So I'm really excited to say that that is the next step. All of these months, all of these weeks, all of these days that I have wondered where we would wind up and ask for prayers and blessings and just overall good thoughts has, I think, I think, finally come to a close. I will be sharing where we're moving to probably next week, but for now, I'm allowing the last little bit of red tape, so to speak, to get wrapped up before I make an official announcement. But I do want to share, and I'll probably share parts of this story again. You know, you never know who's listening or not on any given week. Um, Those of you that have been following, though, know that we've been looking to move, not quite sure where a place would appear. And so I'm here to testify that the universe does take care of us. And that sounds weird. Like, would I believe that if it hadn't worked out? Um, I don't know. But I guess I really did believe it would work out in one way or another. And that's also just a perspective, I suppose. Um, But I figured, you know, even worst case scenario, we live in an RV and we'll still work it out. We'll still figure it out. But I'm happy that it's not going to come to those sorts of measures, mostly because buying an RV is not cheap or easy. Um, And so easy is something that came in for me right before this got all figured out. And it's only been two weeks, I think. So many of you know, we've been looking, just kind of praying, um, talking to the ancestors. That was one podcast. And then my beloved dog, Basil, died a couple of weeks ago. Another podcast. And all of these things have been a step on the journey. A journey to leaving this place with grace and a journey to finding our new home, which I hope will be for quite a while. And I hope will be a place that brings us even more happiness, even more peace, even more abundance. Um, And then, you know, along birth work uh, lines, maybe some different stuff too. So it's not been without 
some struggle. And that's, I guess, what I want to share is the struggle was needed. So it was needed for me to be tested in what I really wanted and testing my faith and my trust in my own abilities to create and the universe and just the unknown. And I think I've shared along the way that has not been all roses and unicorns, as I like to say. It's been met with a lot of frustration at moments, um, tears for sure, just hopelessness in some moments that what if this doesn't work out? What if we don't have anywhere to go? But I didn't allow myself truly to sit in that space and hold those feelings, hold that vibration for too long because I know, I know too well the power of that as well. So um, a couple of weeks ago, it was right after Basil had died. He died on a Friday. And that next Monday, I was here recording. And I had said to my husband right before I left, and I think I said this on that podcast, but I didn't know what was to come after that. So I'm repeating myself. But I had said to Jason right before I left to record, I need this to be easier. We need this to be easier. I intend to have ease and joy in my life. And that was all. And I could feel it. I could feel this sense of unfurling and that vibration of easy come into my body. And it was like, oh my gosh, that's it. Like, this is a major piece of this. Um, And of course, as I shared, basal dying was truly significant and I think was needed in the sense of release. Like he held something about me and my old story, my old vibration, my old life, the person I was. And when he died, it's like I got a piece back of myself. Um, And that might sound crazy, you know, but as an animal, I think that feels right. You know, it's not like saying that about a person. Um, I think each each human has a more unique and individual path. So they are intertwined, but with an animal, it felt like his life was directly in service to mine. And I know that it was. That was our relationship. That was how we were together. Try as I might to make him feel like he didn't have to follow me everywhere. You know, that was his job. So when he died, something got activated and it was sad and it was hard, but it also brought in this joy. And and I think I've said this ease, even with our dog pack, our dog pack completely changed and it has been easeful. And so that's also fascinating. So all of these things happened in the perfect timing, of course. And looking back, you know, so much easier in hindsight, right? Looking back, it's like, oh yeah, all those pieces got me here. So they were all necessary. And could I have told myself to invite more ease a month ago? Maybe, maybe, but I didn't. And it wasn't meant to be. And again, I think the struggle was necessary to get really clear. And one thing I was really wanting to manifest was an ease in finding this place and finding this house, but also an ease in relationship with the people that would be involved. So having rented for the last eight years, that was not an easeful relationship. It still isn't. You know, we can't wait to get out of it. We are happy and joyful that that relationship will cease because it was not ever easy. And going into finding a new home meant that that had to be number one. So 
as per Donna Maria, who's my mentor, as many of you know, her advice was just that. Don't focus on the house. Don't focus on where it is. Simply invite in this vibration of being at ease, uh, specifically in the relationship with whoever is helping with this. So, you know, is it a realtor? Is it a friend? Is it the bank? Is it like whatever? You know, everybody that's involved in this new house endeavor has to be totally aligned. Even if you've never met them, the energy has to be totally aligned. And that is when you'll know it's right. That is exactly what happened. I said to Jason, it needs to be easy. I recorded my podcast. And as I was recording, I saw my phone, you know, just like shooting off texts a million times a minute. And I didn't know at that moment because I was focused on telling you all the story of Basil. But when I was done, I couldn't believe it. I read my text and I was just floored. Um, a creative solution had been reached thanks to my husband, thanks to some very good friends where we are able to get a house. We were able to buy a house and not be responsible to a bank, which was very important to us. Um, and we're super excited that it came so easy and so naturally. We're super grateful, of course, to the friends that we have that have helped make this possible. Um, and everybody, the realtor involved, the people that did the house inspection, like people I've never met in real life, have made this as easy as cake. And that has never happened to us in the last eight to 10 years. It's felt like a struggle to just work out where we were. And it's really hard to get away from yourself in those situations because your brain wants to tell you, well, it is hard. You know, you hear your mother's voice or I do in the back of my head. I love my mother, but her voice is, ah, you have 10 kids. It's not going to be easy. And she would say those kind of things to me all the time. And it would really get me angry, but yet I also had that. I also had that going off in my brain and I was believing it for many years. Oh, too many kids, too many dogs. Oh, you don't get a mortgage. It's not possible. You'll never find anything. You'll rent for the rest of your life. You'll never have this. You'll never have land. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never. And it's wrong. It's wrong if you don't believe it. So that was the struggle that I needed to overcome, which is yes, I believe we are abundant. I don't think it matters how many kids we have, how many animals we have. This is our family. And I kept feeling not only the vibration of the people that would come into this play, really, because it is a play, um, but also, yes, then the house, the location, a feeling of expansiveness. And that was something new that I hadn't felt this whole time. We had some other opportunities come in and out, some other possibilities, and they all felt really constricted. And I didn't understand what that was about. You know, I thought that was just me being afraid to leave here and feeling panicked about giving up everything or, you know, so not really giving up, but that's how it felt. Giving up everything we've made and created our community over the last 10 plus years. But it wasn't. That feeling of constriction was because it was not the right vibration. And on one hand, it's like, well, then you can't screw it up. If you just follow the vibration, you, you really can't make the wrong choice. Um, so I believe that. And then in some moments, I also believe, well, we could have pushed it. You know, we could have. And I've done that. I, I am used to being determined and getting what I set out for. And that's kind of immature, you know. So in my younger years, 
that was how I did things more because I had this manifestation power, but I didn't know it was that really. I just thought I was determined. So if I wanted this, I would make it happen. Um, I can think of, you know, moving to New York City and entering graduate school. Again, perfect, but I also pushed. Uh, getting a midwifery license, also perfect, but I pushed. So this was one of the first times in my life that I had a really big thing in front of me that needed a solution, and I didn't. I didn't push. I didn't push the river. I didn't force it. I didn't pick a point on the map or, you know, say, Sedona, we must stay there. I left it open, and I just said, whatever. Whatever needs to be will be. Whatever vibratory match is out there, we will trust that. And so I am. And so I guess we'll see how the months unfold and how this move goes and how this new home feels. And I'm praying for ease there too. This morning, just up on a mountain, one of my favorite places to be in Sedona, I felt sad for sure. I looked around at these beautiful red rocks and it's like, man, you know, you've given me so much. You've taught me so much. I'm open to whatever lessons need to be in these last couple of weeks. But I also pray for ease in leaving this place, right? I don't want to feel sad overall. I don't want to feel regretful. I don't want to feel like we made the wrong choice. Um, although we can't stay here. So there's that. But I've moved before and felt really, yeah, just grief, grief around leaving Sedona because it's been a home for so long and for so many of my kids. So I'm praying for ease in letting go uh, for all of us, you know, not that we can't miss it, not that we can't remember how beautiful it was and our great friends, but that we have ease in moving on to this next stage. And we invite in more powerful stuff because this really was easy. You know, it was when it happened. The struggle didn't feel easy, but it's because it wasn't time. So when it finally happened, it's been easy. I pray for ease and just getting there, settling in finding a new community and making really awesome things happen and memories happen. I think that is totally on the path for us. So um, as far as location, I will be sharing that soon, just giving this last little bit of the process time to wrap up, but we're pretty far in. Uh, I, I can't imagine in a way that it wouldn't work out now, but you know, who knows? So we'll see. We're going to let it wrap up. We're going to going to have the keys in hand, so to speak. And then I will be so happy to share where we're going. And of course, my ultimate hope is there are so many of you around there, you know, whether it's two hours or three hours that maybe that will be helpful in forming a community. Um, I'll get to meet so many more people. And I don't know what birth work will look like there. And that's part of what I want to talk about today is just envisioning this new midwifery, according to me. And of course, a lot does have to do with this new location, but I don't have expectations. You know, it isn't my community yet. I'm not looking to come in and like take over. I really am curious about what people will be like there, how receptive they'll be to birth, uh, what is needed, you know, in the area, are midwives needed, what sort of community services needed, is education needed. So that's the way I'm going in. Um, I don't even know, honestly, what midwives are around, and I'm not looking to run anyone out of town or, you know, make them feel threatened, although that's really on them. But I get it. Um, I'm not looking to come in and, and take over, but I'm looking to see how this new community might work for me and me for them. So we shall see. Excited to do that eventually. 
and yes, share with you all so that we can connect maybe some of us more than we are able to now, depending on where you live. Um, you know, spoiler alert, I guess we won't be in a city. We will be outside of a city and have land. And that is very exciting to me to actually own land around a house and be able to do whatever with it. Uh, there's an opportunity for even more expansion there on the land, which could include some kind of birth related place at some point. I'm not really sure, but also, um, near a lot of cities. So I think we're two between one and two hours from several cities. And that's also really cool. I think it will really be awesome for my kids to have more access because truly here we don't, we are, we are locked in and it's beautiful and it's a Canyon and it's nature and it's tourism, but there's not a whole lot of like culture or anything going on. So I'm really excited to talk about where that place is and then hopefully, yeah, reach out and see who is out there in that location or nearby and start making some connections. That's the next step. But before then, of course, we have to finish up the house buying process and then get ourselves there. So that is the next stage of the game and not one I'm like super looking forward to, at least the road trip, but we just came off a three day um, or not three day, four day, four and a half day vacation. And the road trip there wasn't bad, but 10 kids makes it sometimes eventful. Just lots of noise, lots of screaming at times. Um, I have to pee. Now I have to pee. Now I need food. That kind of thing where you think, oh man, like how are we going to do this for 20 plus hours in the car? You know, not all together, not consecutively, but over a couple of days is the plan. So we kind of got a taste of that over the weekend, but we had a really wonderful trip to Lake Powell in Arizona slash Utah. And I guess all I really want to share about that um, is that it was great and it was just a nature sort of trip. We were on a boat, which was luxurious. So it wasn't real camping, just to be honest, but we had access obviously to water and the beach and not very busy this time of year. So we parked with our friends, uh, 21 people on a houseboat. We parked in, I think, Navajo Canyon, which is just gorgeous and feels like another planet, like Mars or something. I mean, there's red rock, but it's just massive. And, and the energy there is really interesting. Lake Powell is a man-made lake. So although beautiful, there's something about the energy that is just sort of strange, not bad, just strange. But it was great. We did all kinds of like water sports stuff and just hung out on the beach together with friends while kids made mud pies and, you know, mud birthday cakes and went fishing and gathered seashells. Um, we had no phone service at all. So we were totally unreachable, which was seriously the best thing ever. <laughs> and I would go back there just for that reason. Made me want to search out more um, prospective vacation places that truly are off grid or whatever you want to say. It was amazing because not only could we not be on our phones, but my children, my older children that have phones, they couldn't either. And we were just together. You know, there was no agenda. There was no field trip. It was just life on a boat for a couple of days and make up your fun. And so it was really cool to see how everybody navigated that and really did give me hope um, for kids, you know, especially older ones that seem like they can be addicted like all of us are to phones and, and even, you know, skate parks and friends, like they're good when they're out in nature, 
And I think that's a really awesome testament to just how they're growing up. You know, they're able to function. Um, they're able to be outside all day. They know how to take care of themselves. They know how to play. They know how to, you know, be with kids around water, which was a whole other thing and not very relaxing to have lots of little kids around water. I won't lie, <clears throat> but we knew it would be like that. And so you just can't take your eyes off of them. So whether it was me or Jason or one of the friends, um, someone was always, you know, outside with them when they were near the water and they had life vests on and all of that, but still it's nerve wracking. So we got to feed a couple of ducks that came up literally every hour. They probably thought they had hit the jackpot and I still feel like I'm on a boat. So that's not the most pleasant effect of um, that kind of travel, but it was worth it. It was worth it and it was crazy and it was fun to make meals and such with our friends and just share in that, especially since we're leaving this area and I don't know when we'll see any of them again. So overall, great trip, totally recommend doing something and I want to do more of it too. I'm doing something where you don't have access to your phone and all of that, like just no service. You know, I turn my phone off a lot. But it's still, I can turn it back on if I need. And gosh, that happens more times than I can count because, oh, you know, this kid's out or, oh, we forgot this or whatever, but truly no access. So that is something I want to keep. Um, also, having more boundaries around the phone and computer habits is something I'm trying for. So I did not turn on my phone this morning. I did not hike with my phone. There's no need. I'm not on call. I mean, yeah, music is fun, but you're not really alone, or I don't think you are when you have music on. So no more, no more phone when I hike at all, unless I'm on call, which probably won't be for a good long time still. Um, and also no being on my phone just when I'm holding Rooney or nursing him because he's totally at that age where he's noticing. And, you know, he may have noticed before, but he's like actually looking now, which just feels unacceptable to me. And like, I need to be a grown up and not do that. I don't want him to remember that. So, you know, no judgment on being on your phone while you're nursing. I have spent many hours like that myself, but I'm just drawing the boundary for me because he's my last baby, um, you know, most likely. And even if he's not, I just want to spend the time with him. And even though I might have a good reason, you know, I'm looking at my phone to find a recipe for dinner or whatever, it's, it's not focus on him. So he had this four or five days where every time he nursed, I was looking at him and he was so appreciative and so sweet and smiley and making eye contact and grabbing my necklace and oh, just made my heart melt. So again, no judgment on, you know, whatever you need to do. But I found for me that it was a much needed break and has encouraged me to set some new boundaries and habits because why not? You know, I didn't miss anything either. That's the funny thing, right? Like my phone was off for four and a half days. I didn't miss anything. Sure. I did miss a bunch of texts, but like they weren't important. And we just are in such a rush culture where people text you. You know, I had someone text me last week, a former client, or actually not a former client. She's not even, she's not even a client. Seriously. So sorry, but you don't even deserve a response super quickly because, you know, you're not on my list of like people I need to tend to, frankly. Um, and she was very demanding. She wanted something from me and she, you know, I didn't text her back right away and whatever. Um, she obviously was offended or something, but like we live in this culture where if someone texts you, why are you expected to respond in anything less than 48 hours, right? But that's what we've gotten ourselves into. And I've totally participated in it. You know, people text you, you get right back because it's just like, oh, one more thing off your list. 
Oh, so anyway, that is a very long soapbox and update uh, with what we're up to, what I'm up to. And I want, wanted to share all that because I think um, people are resonating with it. And of course, if you're not, you can just kind of forward on till you get to the meat of the podcast, which is today called Redefining Midwifery Part One. So let me explain how I got to this place. Oh, well, the last few months, if you've been a very diligent listener to my podcast, have brought so much change. Duh, moving all of that. I've also shared that Rumi's birth completely just broke me, changed me, killed that part of me. I don't know. And it's been a journey to figure out how birth work plays into my life. I know that I'll always be involved. Um, you know, there's so many facets of birth and woman's work and spirituality, which is really where my focus is nowadays. But as for going to births, I don't know. Like, I just don't know yet. And I can't say if that'll happen in six months or a year or never again. So that's the honest truth. But I find myself ebbing and flowing with just whatever's going on in my life, like I've shared, and having this break has made me realize that, yes, I am a midwife. I will always be a midwife, no matter what. And there are so many colors and variations to what that word has come to mean to me. And without rehashing, you know, the total past six months, almost, it was almost six months, um, it just changed how I feel about birth, like his birth experience. And I can't always find the words, so you'll have to bear with me. But this is part of the redefining. And this is why this is part one, because this is the part where I have nothing figured out. I'm just sharing. I'm just blabbing. And I hope there's part two, part three, part four, maybe, where I actually have a plan. So here you are getting to witness the whole process. But part one is, I have no fucking clue what this looks like for me right now. Um, his birth made me feel like midwifery is simultaneously the most valuable, beautiful thing, and also sort of the most useless thing in the moment of birth. And I know that doesn't make sense. So I guess I'll leave that there and just say that the spirituality that I was able to access and experience during that whole thing, his birth and now after, has like cracked open this tiny little ball that I called midwifery. So before I would have said, oh, a midwife is someone that attends to women in the prenatal time. You know, we do long prenatal appointments, we do clinical skills, and then we go to the birth, you know, and then we support the woman after. And now that's like the smallest working definition I can come up with. Like it's so not descriptive in the feeling of what I want midwifery to be for me if I continue to serve women in that way. Because that little ball that I cracked open worked for me for so long. And I changed it. You know, the ball became a different shape and a different color um, as many of you know from having read our book, right? I went from licensed midwifery to redefining midwifery for myself. And this was seven, eight years ago. So it's time for a change because I did that. And you know, I'm not going to take you through that whole process, but 
I rethought prenatal care. I rethought everything. I rethought everything I had learned, pretty much everything I had ever done, and I wanted to do it different. And I held that space, I think, really well, um, you know, for the most part, for the women that I served. And I was good at it, and I was good at illustrating it and talking about it. And I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm happy with what that was, what that is. But it's just time for something new. I feel bored. I feel bored by that, again, this... Um, metaphor or analogy of like this ball, you know, I changed the color, I maybe changed the shape. um, But I still wasn't getting to the center, you know, and I just don't want to do it that way anymore. So this redefining midwifery number one is the total demolishing of everything I have thought I knew and I thought worked. Um, And this isn't to say that anybody else needs to rethink it, you know, I'm just sharing this. I think the community midwife in the way that I was in that role is great, really, you know, it's a great role and it's needed. And there's many communities around this whole world and country where we need more of those people just kind of doing that, you know, Um, doing those basics, you know, spending time with women, getting to know them, uh, caring for them in this way. I'm, I'm so all about it. And the school, our Indie Birth Midwifery School is there. I love that. I love that I get to be a part of that and create more midwives in this way. Um, so that like whatever is happening there, whatever creation is happening for the women in that school to serve their communities, I still have total faith and believe, belief and trust in. Um, it's just for me, I'm looking now personally for something else. I don't want to go back to that. And so, um, you know, this is where creation starts. It starts with the destruction and it starts with, you know, in my in my not as positive moments, it kind of sounds almost like I'm complaining to myself, you know, but I'm just being honest, like sharing all the things that weren't working. um, That's not really complaining. That's like breaking down the barriers and saying, you know, I don't know what it looks like yet. Just like this house in Sedona, like wasn't working anymore. It's just the old falling away. And I know so many of you resonate with that. I've been getting so many emails and cool messages from people saying, well, thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing your personal life because I'm also going through that. And I know on a collective level, this is what's meant to be, whether it's midwifery, whether it's moving, whether it's a relationship you're in, we're being asked to throw out the old and rethink and re-envision, not just to do that, like not just to give us something to do, but because we're getting closer to our core And again, that analogy of this ball, um, when that got cracked open during Rumi's birth, who I truly am, like as a soul, you know, I think we're all, we're all that is inside there and I'm finding it. And that's really exciting. I hope for me, um, I hope it's inspiring in the ways that it needs to be because we all, we all are the same makeup in that way. You know, we all have this inner, inner vision, this inner truth. Um, how far are we? at any given moment from that by living in the ways we do, you know, by living on the surface or by taking a path that's been well-traveled because, well, that's what people do, right? Um, Nowadays, it's like, well, you're supposed to wear a mask. Like, (laughs) side note, having a conversation about circumcision with my son today, True, who's nine, he just had never heard of this before. He had never heard the word. He didn't understand what it was. And it was really hard. He kept saying, well, why? Why do people do that? And, you know, there are reasons. But for his purposes, um, it's because people do that. Like, there isn't a better reason. It's just culturally, that's what we are taught to do. 
And I said openly, you know, had Amelia, my first been a boy, she probably would have been circumcised because I hadn't yet discovered how I felt about that, right? So this is a similar thing. Like in midwifery, are we just doing what's taught? Um, even if it's our school, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean like one source is better than another necessarily. Like we're hoping to create midwives outside of licensing. But is that really right for you? Is that really the path you want to take? Or is it because, I don't know, it's been traveled before and you can sort of see the way? That's fine. But I'm just at a place where everything is looking like there's fog in the horizon and I'm not quite sure. I can't see the path clearly. But I know I am going to um, deconstruct what I've been doing and create something new. And we'll see. We'll see how that goes. So things I've been getting bored of, just to be honest. And, you know, if you're someone that I've been working with, even virtually, um, hopefully you don't feel like this is any reflection of you. I do want to talk about the virtual stuff again, too, though, because that's been actually really amazing. And that's helping me create this new vision. And I'll explain that more. Um, but things I'm bored of. I'm bored of just like this way I was taught to do this work. Um and, and I mean, even detail, like, let's do a prenatal appointment, like, let's get together. And let's talk for hours. And let me hear all the things, you know. Um, I hope it doesn't sound just bitter or, <laughs> or not compassionate. It's not that I don't, I don't care on like a human level about what people are going through. But there's something that is feeling boring to me about that. And over the last year or two, I've tried to incorporate more spirituality into these kind of appointments, so to speak. Um, like, let's pull some cards, you know, like, let's do this thing, or let's talk about something like really out there or deep, you know, or whatever, um, rather than just kind of the same old, like, how's it going? You know, what's going on for you? Um, are you connecting with your baby? Not that those aren't good questions, but I and bored with them. <laughs> and again, it's nothing personal. It's just, I think it might be a normal reaction to having been doing this for almost 15 years. So the same questions come up, you know, and it's not that there aren't different answers, but just stay with me. Uh, same questions, same kind of conversations, especially here in this community, same sort of person, really cool, but like a a defined amount of, um, I don't know how to say it, like conversational space, like lots of similar conversations. And so anyway, just saying it's been boring. It's been getting boring for me. And it's not that these women are boring. It's not that. It's just I am feeling like I don't have the tools for where I want to go with this. And so I can sit here and I can hear, you know, all of these things you want to share with me. And I'm so honored that you're sharing them. But it's like, I feel useless, um, right? So if it's like people just need someone to blab to, then they have friends, hopefully. Um, some people have therapists, you know? So I just feel like, what does this mean anymore? <laughs> what does this role mean? Um, we're not talking about birth stuff. We're talking about some life stuff, but it's not completely feeling like it's flowing. So I guess on the positive side, in my redefining midwifery, I know for me in the future, whether it's near or far future, it's going to be more of a mentorship role rather than just on the receiving end, this, you know, holding of space that we do value and we do teach students. Um, there's more of a mentorship going on. So that's one of my visions coming in strongly is I want to work with pregnant women that 
want that experience. They want that relationship with me kind of as a mentor, whether it's for their birth or for their mothering and, you know, mentor to me. And I'm in a mentorship only I'm the mentee, right? I'm the, I'm the one getting mentored. Um, doesn't mean that I'm told what to do. It doesn't mean I'm really given anything that I don't have. And so that's been such a valuable tool the last year to work with Donna Maria and be in that role because it's not a student. It's being mentored. And that is really, really valuable when you have someone that you respect that maybe has more life experience, you know, maybe just because they're older, which, you know, I'm also getting into a later phase of life. So I feel like there is a lot to be explored there. And I don't know more about that yet. So stay tuned. Um, but if you're interested, even in virtual prenatals, that's kind of more what I've been doing with people is less just listening to whatever, what causes heartburn? What can I do for this? Not that we can't answer those questions, but I think you get what I'm saying. There's more of a spiritual connection and there is a value of this relationship rather than just like, oh, that's my midwife. You know, I go there and um, she does all these things to my belly and, you know, that's the person that'll be at my birth. Not that it's ever been that superficial, you know. I think I've been really lucky and I really have totally valued and loved the women I've gotten to serve here. Um, it's been perfect. It's just time's up. Time's up here, time's up with this way of doing things. And I don't know exactly what's next. So that's one of the things I was bored with. Um, another thing I was bored with was doing home visits, even though I might get back to that, but I would do it differently. And to that, I will just say it's so time consuming and I'm into giving people time, but you know what? Driving, all of that isn't time you're actually spending on a person. So when I started this last year after Rumi was born, and some of you have heard me say this on the Midwife Monday, I really set out to be more respectful with my own time and with other people's. So I stopped. I stopped doing home visits on uh, January 1st. And on paper, it was like, well, I have a baby, you know, and I don't want to cart him around. And that's very true. But I also just was done with people's energy in their own homes. Um, I'm really sensitive to that, to energy. And I didn't realize that for so long. So people are entitled to live the way they want in their house. But there was something really hard for me about going house to house, spending hours and having to be in that energy, whatever it was. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just different. And you can't really create an energy when you're in someone else's space, they create the energy. So I just got done with that. And I switched to doing visits here in the office. But as I've shared, I really haven't had too many people to work with this year, for obvious reasons. So I didn't fully get to try that out. It has felt a little better, but not quite what I want, not quite what I'm imagining. Um, yeah, so there's work to be done with even that face to face visits. Where does that happen? You know, what does that look like? And again, reimagining that. And I don't know how to think my way through that yet. I really trust it'll come. And for example, I was reading a book this past weekend. I didn't get very far because I was enjoying the, the sun and the sand. But it's called Woman Who Glows in the Dark by, I want to say, Elena Avila. Somebody on our indie birth community recommended it to me. And I'm sorry, I don't remember who that was, but the book is fantastic already. And it's about a Mexican healer 
who was trained, I believe, as an RN. So she had Western, has Western medicine knowledge, but then has served as this essentially like shamanic type healer in her community and many cultures, of course, um, not just Mexican, but many cultures have this role. And that's where the terminology becomes really cloudy because outside of our like very Western in a box thing, you know, midwife, that means this, it means you get certified, it means you go to births um, in other cultures and other times in other perspectives, which is what I'm trying to envision. There isn't a word in a sense, like it's a spiritual counselor, mentor, healer, midwife, elder woman, right? It's like, that's what I'm imagining. Um, and I know that this has been imagined before in the ways that it always has been through time. So um, I'm imagining it, reimagining it, redefining it for myself. But yet I'm very well aware that I'm probably going to come up against examples like this in other cultures and other times where this is already a thing. It's not something that I'm making up from ground zero. It's probably a better connection with what has come before me. And I'm all about that. So, um, you know, my heritage in particular is Italian, at least on my dad's side, I've shared that. My dad is 100% Italian. My grandparents obviously were. My great grandparents came in from Sicily on the boat back in the day into um, New York Harbor. And yeah, that's really, really um, poignant for me right now for whatever reason. But I know that somewhere back in my ancestry, there has been this witchy work. There has, there have been women in my family that were midwives. I'm sure of it, even though I don't know factually, right? So um, that's part of this redefining midwifery is a reconnection with my own ancestry and, and any, any of these paths and cultures that want to open up and share with me as this book is, you know, um, in the ways that they can that allow me to just gain that insight into the fact that this is not new, that um, envisioning midwifery as a more like four-dimensional thing or whatever we want to say has been done before. And I didn't get very far in this book, so some of you may, if you take the recommendation and read it quicker than I have. Um, there's a part just in the beginning where that's kind of the gist, like this this midwife, healer, woman, which kind of person in whatever culture isn't new. It's just, it's been hidden. Duh. I mean, I think most of us know that. So hidden on purpose because there is the element of mysticism and mystery, but also for protection. So there aren't books written. And this is, I think, one of the first that I've seen that is written about this specific Mexican tradition of being this person in the community. Um, but this has been on purpose. So, you know, what can I find out about this version in my Italian ancestry? You know, what can I find out about this version in my German ancestry? Um, it might be hard because women have sort of traditionally hid from documenting this kind of stuff um, because that was probably a risky thing to do. 
So it doesn't mean, of course, that the history isn't there for any one of us, no matter where you come from, no matter what your heritage is. I promise you, there have been women in your family that have done this, have redefined midwifery in the way that I'm talking about. And this was a long time ago, I'm sure that they did it. So I find that really encouraging. And I'm, again, drawing on resources. If you have any, send them to me. Um, but also my own wisdom, my own past lives, my own ancestors to show me what this path means for me now. Um, because, yeah, I don't know. More about what I'm bored. Hmm, this is getting kind of long. Uh, yeah, I'm bored with feeling additional responsibility in the role of midwife. And if you're listening 44 minutes in, you're a dedicated listener. So I'll just be as honest as possible. I think there are still, despite all of the work we've done, despite all the work that many people have done, not just us, there are still so many women out there who give away responsibility for their birth. And it's, it's happened to me. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've been in the role of midwife and I've thought, oh, it means this thing to me. But there are still women that choose to give you more responsibility than you can have. And that creates an imbalance in a relationship that is not ideal. And it creates a dependence. And it's just not what I'm willing to do anymore. So I don't know if more will come forth about that. I'm sure it will. And I guess the question in my mind, if I'm being really transparent, is just the obvious one I think many of us have. If women are being fully responsible, then why do they even need a midwife? And I think that is the natural first question because, again, before we redefine midwifery, we have to admit that the current version still has a lot of power dynamic built into it. Whether we want that, whether we don't want that, that's what most women are signing up for. They're setting up for someone to kind of be above them, to know more, to tell them what to do. So if we really work harder somehow, well, maybe it's easy, right? Maybe this is the ease. We redefine midwifery and this is your mentor. This is maybe like a spiritual connection, a teacher. Um, but we don't necessarily look to them to do anything for us. Then what is the point? But I think there definitely is a point, which is why I've been blabbing about this for so long and why I hope there are many parts, as I said, to this redefining midwifery. Because the role of midwife is so much more than, oh, I'll help you if you need it. Or, you know, if you don't trust yourself, I'll be there to remind you. Like, those are things that we do. Those are things I have done. But I think there's so much more. I think if you're really, really in tune with yourself and calling in these super powerful women, there is a definite need for the services midwives provide, but it's not the mainstream version. It's not even the version I feel like I've been doing over the years. It's not just in case. It's because you're truly needed and wanted. And by need, I don't mean emergencies. I mean need as in to feel like this is complete, but not because you're giving anything away from yourself. So the vocabulary is confusing, but I think the need is hard to explain, but the want is not. And that's something that has been shown to me over the last couple of months here. I've been getting um, calls, as I've shared, not taking a lot of people on, not the right matches, but even the people that either were or weren't the right match, a lot of people around here choosing free bird, and maybe not even 
calling me, not even interviewing me. Um, some of them have, and they still choose free birth. That's great. But it's like, where did the role of midwife go if everybody chooses that? And I don't have the answer because I think free birth is certainly the right choice for women. Some of them, you know, but not all of them. I think it's actually a really small percentage. And I think a lot of those other people, if they were truly taking a responsibility, would understand how they could hire a midwife that was sort of everything they wanted in support without feeling like they were giving away power. And that's a whole other podcast. In fact, I had made one a couple weeks ago and then decided not to publish it, which might make some of you sad. Um, but I really just needed to like get it all off my chest. And it really wasn't something I wanted to put into the world because I think the power that we have, that I have, is in creation. And it was kind of a rant, you know, it was kind of a rant about um, birth keepers and all of this nonsense. I feel a lot of it is nonsense. And just to sum it up, without publishing that podcast, um, it's that we can be so powerful and still have support. And I've said that so many times. So if someone truly wants to be alone, go for it. But for that to be the new definition of midwifery is like the patriarchy to me. Um, and I know not everybody resonates with that. Maybe you don't even understand what I'm talking about, but just think of a pendulum, right? So the pendulum has been swinging this way and that's medicalized birth. That's medicalized midwifery. That's women giving away their power no matter what. And then we have the pendulum to the other side, which is, well, the only way I can be powerful is if I don't have anyone there, because if I have someone there, I'm not strong enough to not give them my power. So I need to be alone to, you know, externally preserve myself. And many women are choosing that. So my definition, my redefining midwifery is coming up with the way this role looks that takes some of the pressure off some of that in a great way, I hope, um, where women are like, oh, no, I get it now. I get that I can have the support I want because I want it. I don't need it. I don't need anyone to save me. But I want it. I want this person there. I want their guidance through my pregnancy. I want their support. And I will pay for that. And I will, you know, I will value that. It's not even pay as in dollars. It's value. I will value that. And for us to be valued, you know, for me to be valued as a midwife, I have to value myself. And again, that's kind of where I am in the process is how do I redefine it? And how do I value that work for myself? Because once I do, I know it will be easy to put it out into the world and to have it feel like, oh, this has always made sense. I don't know if any of that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's what's happening here. I feel like I'm finally out of the postpartum funk. And this boat trip kind of kicked my ass in that way because I had to get organized, plan meals, you know, get things taken care of. Um, and I realized, oh, I'm kind of out of the haze at almost six months postpartum. It's different for everybody. Some people it's six weeks, you know, some people it's six years. For me, it feels about now six months where I'm like, oh, okay. Life is moving on in a positive direction and I'm feeling more like myself and I'm ready to create again. It was a lot of work creating that baby number 10 and getting him out. So I needed six months to kind of do nothing, so to speak. And now I'm ready to do something. So I hope you enjoyed this redefining little free. Um, oh, I guess I'm not quite done. Sorry. I talked about what I don't like. I talked about what I'm done with. 
And now I want to share a little bit about what might come in. So I think I said just in more of this role of mentor, whatever that means, whatever that ends up looking like, having more defined boundaries around time and space. Also not sure quite what that means yet. Um, something I've really been enjoying about the virtual prenatals is that it's not as easy to, like I shared, have someone kind of like go on and on about things. It's a defined time space. So it's an hour. If you sign up for a virtual prenatal with myself or even Margo, either of us, it's an hour. And I've loved how respectful women have been of that time. And me too, you know, it's like you see the time on your computer. So it's easy to form the conversation around the time constraints that you have. And I think that's actually really awesome. When I was a student, our prenatals were so long. They were sometimes three hours long. And I remember as a student just being like, oh my God, like I wasn't even part of the conversation. So it was more awkward. Like I couldn't leave. I didn't want to leave. Um, Sometimes my husband would be waiting for me at home or whatever. And it was always just like this big unknown. And while I think that that time can be well spent, I don't know that I've been doing that well over the last couple of months or maybe even years, you know, more time doesn't mean a closer relationship. So how do I keep things within the boundaries? And I think that's great for the pregnant woman too. You know, you don't have to plan on a two hour prenatal. It's like, oh, we got an hour. And I think some of that has been clouded by the medical model, making us as midwives feel like, oh, we should go so far the other way, right? Like that's the pendulum again is like, oh, well, doctors get people in and out in 10 minutes. Like We're not going to do that. And right, 10 minutes, not appropriate, I don't think. But an hour, an hour should be fine. And if the time is well used, it feels really good. And I think it feels really good for the pregnant woman, like done, you know, you don't carry it the rest of the day, you didn't get exhausted. Um, you're feeling like you didn't give away all of your energy and you're good to go. So that's something I've really been enjoying about the virtual prenatals uh, so much that it's made me think even when I get back to working with women one-on-one in person, that maybe some virtual time isn't a bad thing because again, it, it sets up the time and space differently energetically and with time. And I thought even with the women I've been seeing virtually, Um, this is obvious, but like their kids aren't running around because they usually set the time for that. Right. So they know I have this time. I'm going to use it. I pay for this time. Not going to let my kid be talking to me the whole time. And that's something else that in person is a lot harder. So, you know, I have people come here. That's great. They can bring their kids if they need to, but it's really hard for a pregnant woman to get anywhere in conversation with kids running around. And, you know, on one hand, I don't necessarily care. They can use the time how they want, but then I'm getting farther and farther from this vision of midwifery that I have. You know, I also have um, like needs in this role for me to want to keep doing it. So virtual has just been great. If you are interested in that, there's a link on the Indie Birth homepage called Virtual Prenatals. Click on it, sign up uh, for one with me or Margot, and just see what you think. Even people that have midwives or care providers are doing this and we are using the time I think wisely and in all the ways that I've shared. So I know that this plays into my redefining midwifery at some point is maybe combining virtual stuff, maybe having a virtual circle. That's also been something that has been working well. 
in our 13 moons. Um, and side note, if you're not in 13 moons, you really should be because it's still pay what you can. We have like thousands of people in there. Indiebirth.org forward slash 13 moons, the number 13 moons. Pay what you can and join. There are virtual circles every month. I don't need them necessarily, but I have in the past and I probably will again. Um, but those are great. So there really is something to be said for virtual. And I think we all got <clears throat> a little burnt out with this virus thing the last year. I know I have feeling like, oh my God, I can't do one more computer meeting. But um, something has shifted, at least for me, and that's actually feeling better and a better use of my time and energy. So I really do want to see how midwifery might look eventually in the future for me using these tools. And then, yes, also in person, because there's nothing like being able to give someone a hug, especially someone whose birth you're going to attend. Um, there's nothing like being in their house. So I'm thinking maybe some virtual stuff. Um, maybe some briefer home visits, so not going over there for hours and hours, but kind of doing a brief check-in, uh, maybe clinical stuff, you know, hey, I'll stop by, let's feel your belly, half an hour, done. And nobody needs to plan their whole day around it. Or maybe it's more social, right? I don't know. Uh, hey, mind if I come over for tea and block out, you know, 40 minutes and also done. Midwife's coming over for tea and that's the prenatal for whatever that month. Although I think the virtual stuff could kind of flip-flop. And my vision, <coughs> of course, excuse me, need water. Um, my vision is to make this better, like to make being a midwife better for myself and for the people I work with. So I feel like I could give more time and energy to people really focused than I can doing this in the old way that I was doing it. So if I, let's say, took on a new client and... You know, we had kind of like the way it works. Um, some virtual visits, maybe those are even twice a month. So you have way more time and space to be mentored if that's what you want in your pregnancy. A month can feel like a really long time, but I don't know that I personally can like see people in, in person more than once a month. And, you know, I don't know that they want to see me either. So if we had a virtual appointment or even two and then kind of a brief drop by, or, and this was Margot's idea, um, kind of doing some virtual stuff, mentoring, whatever that means, and then a group drop-in. So maybe once a month, you're at an office, I'm at an office that I have to be in my new location, and there's like a two or three hour block where all the clients just stop by, and they get their blood pressures taken, they get their bellies um, felt if they want, they are taught in the same way that we've been doing that to do those things, but it's brief. It's not like, again, part of this extended huge chunk of time. And that's easier for them. It's easier for us. They are taking responsibility for that clinical piece, assuming that's important to them. Um, that's still important to me, by the way. So even though I'm really looking at this mentor role as the new version of midwifery, yes, I think the clinical part is important. I'm not looking to ignore that. I don't think that's where I'm at. I don't think that's wise. For me, I don't, I don't like that idea. Um, spiritual midwifery is awesome. And I do think that's essentially the direction I'm moving. But hey, there's still something to be said about taking someone's blood pressure. And, you know, I don't want to miss someone developing something weird, if I can help it and be a part of that. And again, there's that responsibility piece, right? So I think women are ultimately responsible for, hey, if you're not feeling good, let's check that out. It's not my job to demand they pee on a stick or get their blood pressure taken. But 
I'm upholding my side of the midwife bargain, which is, hey, I'll keep tabs on these things and, you know, let you know if I see anything. So I still think that's a crucial part. That's not something I'm willing at this moment. Um, it's not even willing. Like, I don't, to me, that's not midwifery. To me, midwifery is still that piece. And if you don't have that piece, you know, I just want to pose the question that, you know, what is, what is that role? Is that a doula? I don't know. Is that a birth keeper? The term I love the best? Just kidding. I don't. I don't know. But that's, again, where things get really confusing. So to me, I want to come up with this new version of midwifery that is clear. It is very clear what people are hiring. It is very clear what they're going to get. It is very clear what their side of the deal is, much more than I've been. And I think that will just feel so good. And that will make me really want to do this again when I'm ready. And I don't know when that is. So thanks for listening to my about an hour blab. I guess a lot of that really wasn't on midwifery, but just leading up to this new adventure, which is moving and getting a new house and location, but also um, seeing where midwifery goes. And I do think our indie birth dream of having a center at some point will come to fruition. We have a couple of things uh, in the works that might work out in the next I don't know. I'd really say a couple of years is what it's looking like to me where we could really, really have this vision we're imagining, not like one birth hut on some land. Although, as I said, I'm willing to do that probably on my own personal land. Um, if that seems like it will be valuable to surrounding communities, but ultimately Margot and I have this bigger vision of, you know, something much, much larger, um, multiple practitioners, some of our doctor friends, you know, healing work, chiropractic, postpartum recovery. It's, it's a pretty grand vision. So I am holding that still, um, us moving, you know, personally is great. It's going to be just so perfect for our family, but this retreat vision is also happening just simultaneously on a different timeline and probably, uh, in a different location. That's my guess, but I don't know. So this redefining midwifery could simultaneously meet up with this timeline of the retreat center too. And that could really help formulate what I'm what I'm doing and what I'm thinking, especially if we are having people birth at this retreat center that are coming in from all over the world. A lot of their interaction will have to be virtual, you know, that'll have to be how we get to know them and how we get to really um, understand them and know their families and see where they're at before they would uh, allegedly show up at this retreat center to birth and recover. All right, everybody, that's it for me today. Thanks for listening to my post-vacation blab on redefining midwifery. Remember, this is only part one. Speaking of midwifery, indiebirthmidwifery.school.org, we're enrolling all the time, if you didn't know, and we've already had so many amazing applications come through. Um, getting home from this vacation was super fun because I had like 200 emails, and a lot of them were applications and that kind of stuff. And I'm super excited to just see how this constant enrollment goes. It seems like it will really help produce more midwives faster in the ways that we want to. And I just love that. So if you're interested, go to the school site, indiebirthmidwifreeschool.org, fill out an application. No charge to do that, although we do hope that you're serious if you're going to actually fill one out and schedule a phone call. We'll see if it's the right match for you and get you on your way to becoming a radical midwife. All right, everybody, have a great week. Lots of love.